Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and auto repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamRetire.com. Do you know what you're listening to? And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Did you not get the memo? Insanity ensues. Can't wait. Well, good morning. Welcome. Try again. Oh, man. Well, good morning, and welcome to the Manic Monday edition of Snowman in the Morning. Lots to get to and lots to get through, and I have someone very special that's going to kick off hour two of today's broadcast. We're we're presented, I should say, by Beamer Tire and Auto, three locations now in the triad to serve you, and you can follow along with us by going to sdmsportsnetwork.com slash official sit more that's where all the fun happens and if you haven't subscribed to it already on your favorite podcast player pick up the snow the best of snowman in the morning all the best bits from the show will be right there one hour after this show completes ryan dunn my monday morning qb will join me and I can finally let the cat out of the bag. I have a very, very special guest and a story of redemption. The one and only Tom Brenneman will join me this morning. And I am so excited to have him aboard. Let's get busy, shall we? There was a big trade that happened over the course of the weekend. And people are... You know, saying one team won it, the other team won it. Let me give you the let me let me give you the lowdown here. The Rams and the Detroit Lions swapped quarterbacks. And the Rams also sent some draft picks to Detroit for one Matthew Stafford. So that means Jared Goff is heading from Southern California to the snow of Detroit. And Matthew Stafford is heading to Southern California to play with the Rams. Ooh-wee. I sat back and I waited. I waited for all of the opinions to come out about who won this trade. I even posed a um a twitter question about who won this trade okay and i'll get to my thoughts in just a moment but that question is still open so if i don't get to them today i'll get to the results tomorrow so everyone wants to know my opinion about this trade and y'all know how i am I don't use analytics. I don't use a lot of numbers. 
I use my eyes. And I'm going to hurt a lot of people's feelings about this trade, especially the people that are fans of the teams involved in the trade. But quite simply, nobody won this trade. Let me explain very, very quickly. You're getting, you're swapping quarterbacks that are a mirror image of each other. I, you're swapping quarterbacks and you're putting them in front of basically the same kind of offensive line unless this spring they decide to fix the problem. And neither team has fixed the problem yet. Okay? You're only as good as your offensive line. I've said that many times over. And it's basically... A mirror, uh, you're basically getting quarterbacks that are a mirror image of each other. Okay, they're good, but they're not outstanding. They perform, but they don't perform in the clutch. I'll give Stafford a slight edge on that category because he actually played with a separated shoulder and threw a touchdown pass with a separated shoulder. And then the Rams went to a Super Bowl, got beat by the great Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. So what do the Rams do? They up the ante and they pay Jared Goff an absorbent amount of money. The Lions did the same thing with Matthew Stafford. And remember, Matthew Stafford got his extension about two months after Jimmy Garoppolo got his. And we all know Jimmy Garoppolo has taken his team to a Super Bowl. What has Matt Stafford done? Or, as they say on 97.1 The Ticket, one of my favorite phrases, Stat Patford. Stat Patford. So, do you really think, do you really think that either team won this trade? Especially the Rams, because the Rams, once again, are sending picks to a team that will gladly take them. Now, what they do with them is... The big question. But but the Rams just basically did the Jalen Ramsey trade all over again. You send a King's Ransom. They sent a King's Ransom to Jacksonville for Jalen Ramsey. And I'm sorry, Jalen Ramsey has not been all of that in Los Angeles. And now they're doing it again. They're sending more picks to Detroit for... Matthew Stafford, and we all know what Matthew Stafford has been through. I even saw a headline, as crazy as this sounds, that said, finally, Matthew Stafford gets to compete for a championship. Like he hadn't competed for a championship in the 11 years he was in Detroit. Really? I mean, what the blank is wrong with people? People are just not looking at this the way you should look at it. And it's pretty simple. For me, no one won this trade. The Rams didn't win this trade because you're getting a quarterback who's 32 years old, has been around a a, a bleeping, blanking, blanky offensive line 
for 11 years, they never solved the problem, and you're talking about a quarterback that's been beat up for 11 years. One of those picks that the Lions got from the Rams is going to be a quarterback. Mark my words, in the next year, if it's this year or next year, within the next two years, they're going to draft a quarterback because Jerry Goff is not it. All right, I'm sorry. You're talking about Goff, who's younger than Matthew Stafford, took his team to a Super Bowl, got some assistance in doing so. What has he done? This is my question. What has he done? And on top of that, what's he going to do for the Lions when he's known a stretch offense all year? Are they actually going to put a line in front of him? Are they actually going to to uh, take a chance and say, hey, we need to build the offensive line? Are, neither, are either of these teams going to say that? I'll tell you right now, from what I'm seeing, my answer is no. So how the hell are you going to say that either team won this trade when it doesn't seem fair to either team? Okay. It looks like the Lions fleece the Rams. They get a younger quarterback plus some draft picks. But how is Goff going to pick up the new system? That's my question. Or a better question would be, will he pick up the new system? And the other question that I have is, who is Jared Goff going to throw to in Detroit? Okay? There are no receivers Familiar receivers, I should say, in Detroit. I feel sorry for both teams. Because, yeah, Matthew Stafford gets some people to throw to, but the problem is, is the offensive line going to hold up enough so he can throw to them? I've always spoken about the offensive line. That's been the trouble with my team, the 49ers. Last three years, even they did go to the Super Bowl. So either of these teams, the Los Angeles Rams and the Detroit Lions, who both had dynamic running backs back in the day, Barry Sanders and Eric Dickerson, are now competing for services of a dynamic quarterback, which a lot of people who use analytics, I am not one of them, seems to think that this trade has produced. They seem to think that Matthew Stafford going to Los Angeles is going to help him compete for an NFC West championship. I hate to tell you this, but that's not the case. Especially when you have the 49ers who are going to get healthy and get better, especially defensively, coming after you. Especially when you have Seattle coming after you and an improving Arizona Cardinals team coming after you. You know what held the Rams back for parts of the season? It didn't, it, it didn't happen in the game at Seattle, and I give them credit for this. But the problem is, and I'll say it again, the offensive line held them back. Oh, should I go a step further when it comes to the Rams? How about this? The lack of a running game also held them back. Yeah, you had a good playoff game in Seattle, but where was that most of the season? I asked the Seattle Seahawks that same damn question. The same damn question. 
there are no running games and i you know i i, I would say i'm sorry for saying this but i'm not and as much as I love Cam Akers, who's backing him up? Where's the running game in Detroit? Who are you going to lean on to run the football? Hmm? Who are you going to lean on in Detroit to run the football? Because I don't see it in Detroit. And Jared Goff has always, for the most part, leaned on his running game to get him through. Yeah, you don't have that now. Y'all see a problem with this? I certainly do. I see a tremendous problem with this. There are no running games in either Los Angeles or Detroit. None. And the bigger problem is, if your offense doesn't move, it tells me that your defense is going to spend a lot of time on the field, which for both of these teams, their defenses has. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this question out there. Who is Jared Goff going to throw to? Well, Matthew Stafford has got receivers in front of him, but are they going to be able to be healthy? There are more questions than answers about this trade. More questions than answers. I applaud Matthew Stafford. I will say this. I applaud Matthew Stafford for going to the Detroit Brass and say, look, I'm out of here. I'm not playing behind this blankety-blank offensive line, and I'm not playing anymore for this blankety-blank organization, which does not want to help us compete. I applaud Matthew Stafford for that. But now to me, it just seems like he's been thrown out of the frying pan and into a deep fire. Both of these quarterbacks have been thrown out of the frying pan and into a deep fire. You know why I say that? Because until they solve the offensive problems that both of these teams have had, I do not see any movement, none whatsoever, absolutely none, by either of these teams. As a matter of fact, I think the Rams will finish last in the NFC West. And there's not a doggone thing, at least at the moment, that Matthew Stafford can do about it. More to the point, will do about it. That's Snowman's take. What's yours? Follow us on Twitter at official SITMorn on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, as well at uh, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. That's where we that, that's where we are located. Official SIT Morn at official SIT Morn is the ID that you need. And don't forget, you can help us do even more with our show by becoming a patron and subscribing for as low as five dollars a month. Five bucks a month gets you a bag a bag of swag, which I'm uh, currently working on right now. And get you some inside exclusives from behind the scenes here at the program. Because we're building a studio and we're building a whole lot more with this. Ryan Dunn will come your way later to close out this hour. And then, as I mentioned, Tom Brenneman a little bit later on in the program. Sit back, relax, and strap it down. This is Snowman in the Morning. 
let's get back into things here. Ryan Dunn, my Monday morning QB, has joined me. What up, Ryan? Not much, gentlemen. How are you doing this morning? Doing good, doing good. All right, let's dive in. I gave my thoughts at the top of the program. Now I want to hear yours. The trade, Matthew Stafford for Jared Goff. And my next three words are, what the hell? <laughs> well, I think when you had to take a look at both sides, I think the rest of that trade makes a little more sense for the Lions where you include the next two first-round picks, not this year's first-round picks for the Rams, but the next two first-round picks for the Rams and this year's third-round pick plus Jared Goff. At the end of the day, I personally, um, you know, on my show, I talked about how I personally think that Lions won this trade. You got rid of a quarterback who doesn't want to be there anymore, and this team is looking like it's being built for the future. Um, I don't expect the Lions to make the playoffs this year. Sorry to disappoint any Detroit Lions fans. <laughs> um, you are taking – you are – even though Jared Goff has been to a Super Bowl, he does have playoff experience, which is also probably a good thing for the Lions. You are taking a downgrade quarterback. I think we all yeah. can agree that Matthew Stafford is a better quarterback. Yep. But the the Rams could only make this happen. I think at the end of the day, the Rams, they obviously wanted Stafford, clearly, because this trade happened because of them. And they knew just the money that they were going to be taking on with Goff, they might as well take on basically a – what close to the same amount of money with a better quarterback. And this is kind of a scary situation though. If I'm the Ram if I'm Rams fans, like I'm I'm okay with getting Stafford. I'm not okay with what we gave up. And I'm right. going to pick because they if as long if they don't go if they don't get another first round pick, like if they don't make another trade for a first round pick between now and two thousand twenty four, it will have been within seven years of them taking a player in the first round from Prior to 2024, but seven years, you don't get a first-round player. And I get Sean McVay's system works, but I feel you still got to have first-round talent, in my opinion. It just seems like the Rams repeated a trade. You know, the one they made for Jalen Ramsey where they gave up another King's Ransom to Jacksonville. Now, this is – you can kind of say this is different, but it's the same – it's the same principle. You give up a king's ransom for a player that could help you now. But when it comes to the future, where are those draft picks when you need them? Oh, we sent we 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 sent them away. Am I wrong in this thinking? Is this any different than the Ramsey deal that they sent a king's ransom for? Uh, personally, when I saw that Ramsey one happen, I think Ramsey, uh, Jalen Ramsey, in my opinion, is, you know, he's a once-in-a-generational talent at corner. You know, I mean, we do have great corners in the game. Jalen Ramsey is one top, obviously one of the top corners in the game, and you made the case of saying he's the number one cornerback in the game. When they gave up the multiple first-round picks, I was kind of like, that's a little too much, in my opinion. But at the same time, if you're a win now team, which the Rams are focused on winning now, like there's the Rams and the Lions, the Rams are win now, Lions are win maybe three, five years <laughs> or 20 years. You know, if the Detroit Lions, you never know when they'll ever win. But the Rams are more of a win now team. And if you are going to get a player that's going to bring a boost and bring some energy and bring something to your defense 
or your offense. I don't think this is actually the same because, you know, they got Ramsey and they extended him. They gave him a, a good contract as well. So he's going to be there for a while. Stafford is 32. So you can still get about maybe four or five good years out of Stafford. So I don't, I don't really compare the two in my opinion, but I, you know, giving up multiple first round picks, you've given up four potential stars. You know, and first round picks, this is the thing, first round picks, you don't know what they're going to be. They could be a star, they could be a bust. It happens. I, I, every pick could be a star or a bust in this game. But if you give up four first round picks for two players, those two guys better bring their A game day in and day out and better be making you a Super Bowl contender, which I personally don't have the Rams as a Super Bowl contender with this trade. I have them making the playoffs next year. This solidifies my pick for making them playoffs, but as far as making the run for the Super Bowl, I just don't see that just yet. I don't see that either. And how does well, let's break this how does Matthew Stafford help the Rams now? I think we you're going to probably give someone that can bring more firepower at the quarterback position. You know, I felt like Jared Goff was only a product of Sean McVay's system. And I'm not saying that he's going to go to Detroit and be bad. I think you can find out what made him uh, good or even great for the Rams and translate that to, you know, to Detroit. He can bring some voice. He's like, hey, this has worked well for me. That's kind of what it takes when you have a starting quarterback to find out what works well for them. For Stafford, he's had so many different coaches, so many different offensive coordinators, moving pieces this whole time in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to get in a system that it seems more – he's going to a team that seems more offensive-minded. And I think you already have a guy that's already half assessed. He just hasn't had the right talent. He hasn't had the right pieces. He hasn't had the right coaches. Now you pair him with Sean McVay, and he can probably have – I don't want – I'm not going to say an MVP season this year, but he could probably at least step up his game because now he's also going to have Cooper Cup and Robert Woods on the outside – some great weapons. I mean, he hasn't had a, a, a great weapon, really, if we're being honest, since Calvin Johnson. Right. I mean, that's a, a fantastic weapon. But Stafford, I think he's going to love this move because he's going with an offensive-minded coach that I think is really going to sit down and work with Stafford to find out what makes him successful as a quarterback. So, with Jared Goff going to Detroit, what does that mean for the Lions? Because I don't see... Maybe I'm harsh in saying this, but me being as old school as I am, I don't see any weapons for Jared Goff to use in Detroit. Am I wrong? Uh, I think Kenny, Gall- Kenny Galladay is really a good weapon. I really hope that they find a way to keep him long-term in Detroit. I, I, people want to compare him to like a mini Calvin Johnson. I don't buy that. Calvin Johnson was just a freaking nature out there. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, but when it comes to Kenny Galladay, he's still a good weapon. T.J. Hawkinson is, is a solid tight end. He just needs to get the ball a little bit more. And DeAndre Swift, the running back, like when they signed Adrian Peterson last year, I was like, "What are you doing?" So DeAndre Swift at running back, I think, is a great piece. I think he needs to get more touches, honestly. Yeah. So I think they have a good core around there for Jared Goff to find success now again this team is not going to make the playoffs next year right like, it's just not going to happen right i think dan Campbell is a good coach 
I think he is a good. I think he's gonna be a good fit for what he wants to do. And he was even straight up and said, "I'm not gonna sit there and tell you we're made a playoffs and win all these games because I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen." And I respect that from him as a coach. I think the players do as well, and I think the fans do too because they've heard the same story for so long. Yeah, they have. They, oh, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. And it's just like the lines, not- lines just stink. Like, and, they, they suck. And, and nothing and, happens. And nothing happens. Nothing is. Yeah. Nothing has happened truly for the Lions since 1991. And I know they've had a playoff appearance or two since then, but everything is compared in Detroit to 1991. 1991 is the year for the Detroit, for, for the Detroit Lions. I mean, they beat Dallas in the Silverdome. Anybody remember that place? And then they go to Washington. They get walloped in Washington. But it just seems like the comparison in terms of playoff years – the 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 bar was nineteen ninety one. Yeah, and like like we said, it's just this team hasn't done anything since they since Stafford's been in Detroit. I think they made the playoff two or three times at most. I can't yeah. even remember because they are always knocked out of the first round. They don't do anything, and I'm not saying that that I'm not saying making the playoffs is a bad situation. It's just like. You know, they haven't done much since he's been there. I think that's mm-hmm. why he's been – that's why the fans got frustrated. That's why he's been frustrated because he's been there for so long. He said, I can't keep trying to do enough and not get anything out of this team. He wants success. and that's, You can't be mad at a player who wants to leave and says, I can't win here. Right. He wants to go and win. For and He knows that any of these teams out there – like. I felt the Colts were going to be a good option. I felt, um, and I felt the Rams were going to be a good option. Um, there was a few other teams out there as well. I think that were going to be good options for him. And I think he sees the Rams, again, as a good option for him where he can at least find success, make it to the, not only just make it to the playoffs, but actually do something in the playoffs, at least win a game or two. I, The team I thought Stafford would go to that had a ready-made team for him to win was Indianapolis. It, it just seemed to fit Stafford being there in front of a great offensive line. You got T.Y. Hilton and other weapons to throw to. They have a balanced running game, and they're going to get a couple pieces back off of injury. I just really thought it would be the Colts that would come a-calling. The thing is, though, T.Y. Hilton will probably not even be back next year. I don't think they're – I mean, there's talks that he will – come back but because he's going to be a free agent and then there's from what i've been hearing it doesn't sound like they're going to bring him back if they do it's not going to be for a lot you know if he wants to be a colt for life i'm sure they would he would take a hometown discount if he really wants to be there mm-hmm. um but you're right though this team does have uh a lot of pieces in place i think personally Stafford would have taken this team to a potential super bowl contender yeah like, i think going to the season Phil Rivers being added was definitely a piece to make them a Super Bowl, like at least a dark horse for a Super Bowl that not mm-hmm. many people were going to talk about, but could have done something if they made the playoff or if they won against Buffalo. But now, if you would put Stafford there, I mean that's just a whole different ball game. Now it's just he's not there, and as a Colts fan myself, I don't even know what we're going to do because really, I thought it was really going to happen. I thought Ballard was going to pull the trigger. Yep. But when I saw the Rams gave up, I just think I don't know how, like, where we would have found that stuff mm-hmm. to go and give to Detroit 
for Matthew Stafford, but you know Chris Ballard's a good GM. We believe in him. He's done a lot. He's turned his pro- the franchise around from you know Ryan Grigson and from mm-hmm. what, how terrible he was as a GM. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, uh, as a Colts fan, again, I don't know what we're doing at quarterback. And I, like you said, I thought Stafford was going to be the place because of everything else that's there. But it's just, it's just not right now. So what do the Colts do? How do the Colts? They they have every other piece offensively. They just don't have a quarterback right now. So what do what do the Colts do? I'm a fan of the Colts also. Uh, by 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 marriage, my beautiful wife is a Colts fan, and I've been a Colts fan since my daughter was born at uh, Peyton Manning Hospital. But what do the Colts do? Uh, honestly, it just depends on what. I mean, Jim Irsay, so the owners came out and said he wants a veteran president, at, president a veteran vision at quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, they want, and I'm pretty sure Chris Ballard is the same way. They want a veteran guy because they know. We're not rebuilding. We are in line to make a run. We just right. need somebody to lead us at quarterback. Um, I don't know if like here's the thing: if you are going to go draft pick, you need to trade up and mm-hmm. go get a, a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. You can't think Mac. Like projections are showing, oh Mac Jones. Like no, you need look at the teams around the league who's traded up: Buffalo, Josh Allen, Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Um, Baltimore, Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Jackson. Like, team, teams trade up to get their franchise quarterback. Now, has it worked on the past? No, it also has not, i.e. RG3. Right. So so be careful, but at the same time, and I think that's why Ballard's kind of like hesitant because of, he knows it doesn't always work out, but you look at those guys and like it can mm-hmm. because of how the game is being played today mm-hmm. and what Justin Fields has done in college. I personally think... Justin Fields would be a good fit if they could trade up to the right spot to go get him. Right, but like I don't think I just don't think Ballard is in a position to do that. And you know the other big name out there is Deshaun Watson. That'll never happen because you never trade within your, your division. division. And if you do as a GM, you get fired. It's that simple. Easy, easy. <laughs> the only example where that hasn't happened was Richard Sherman going to San Francisco from Seattle. But there's been some rumblings up in uh, uh, up in Seattle. We're up against the break. This is Ryan Dunn, my Monday morning quarterback, talking all things Matthew Stafford, Jared, golf trade. I want to get you on later this week so we can talk Super Bowl. We just ran out of time today. I'd love to have you come back this week. Yeah, sounds good. I'll we'll talk to you then. All right. Ryan Dunn, my Monday morning quarterback, talking all things Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford trade. I'll have him back later this week to talk Super Bowl, and I'm going to have y'all back in a moment to hear my conversation with the one and only Tom Brenneman. This is Snowman in the Morning. Folks, to say that I have a very special guest in this case would be an understatement because... This is a story of redemption of one of my favorite voices. Now, I talked about him before, but I have him on the hotline right now. Anybody in the state of Ohio or who watched football or baseball on Fox recognize my guest, the one, the only, Tom Brenneman. Tom, how are you, buddy? Great to talk to you. I'm all right. I'm all right, Snowman. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. I love... Your new podcast, it's called Dialed In. And, folks, if you haven't downloaded it, I suggest that you do. Tell me how you put that podcast together. 
Well, you know, we just tape it every Wednesday night. And thank you, by the way, for the kind words about it and uh, the kind introduction. But, yeah, we just tape it every uh, Wednesday night. And, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, fortunate enough and blessed enough to be around the block a time or two. And I've come across a lot of, you know, very famous people, but also a lot of interesting people. And so uh, we've been lucky so far to have uh, Urban Meyer, Brian Billick, and Troy Aikman on the show so far. I have to get you on one of these days, Snowman. You got it. You got it, man. Man, it's it's such it, it's so great to to talk to you. Do you? I, I have to ask. Do you miss being in the stadiums behind? Do you miss that? Do you miss doing the play by play calls? You know, I, I I do. Of course, I do. And I mean, I hope I get a chance, good Lord willing, to go back and do it again. Um, you know, we have a we have a seventeen year old daughter and a fifteen year old son, and, and and both are big sports fans, and uh, both you know big Ohio State football fans, and. You know, so during the college football season, we were watching a lot of uh, college football. And, um, and you know, during the NFL season, um, you know, my son and I would, would watch in and out, like a lot of people do, uh, games on Sunday or Sunday night or Monday night or Thursday night, whatever it might be. Um, you know, of course, I miss the job and being, you know, in the, the stadiums and, and behind the microphone. But you also really miss the people. Um you know, my partner for a long, long time, who I've said it once, I've said it 10,000 times. He's the, the, the finest man I've ever met in Chris Spielman. And, uh, you know, then the rest of the guys and gals on the crew, uh, you know, you travel with people for 17 straight weeks. Uh, and if you're lucky to stay with the same group of people year after year after year, um, it's a blessing. And I really miss those people. And, and twice our crew came in, my old crew, came into uh, Cincinnati where I live and uh, they had Bengals games. And so I had a chance to, to go down there to the hotel and see them and, and hang out a little bit. And so, you know, um, I, I miss seeing them a lot. Yeah. When you do have the same crew, you do develop a, a, a kinship. And I yeah. can understand that because when I was at Chicago state for 14 years, um, I had the same crew that, uh, that, that worked with me, especially when we started, um, doing video it's that kinship sure. that you miss more than anything yeah. more than more than the job because i do play by play also more i know than, you do yeah more than the job you miss that kinship with your crew and the fans that interact with you as well don't you you do and and, and, and you know it's, it's not only fans as you know snowman you know it, it's also uh people you know like when you're at chicago state all those years you know the schools that you're in the conference with yeah you know you'll go back to the same schools year after year you'll see the the announcers of the other team the security guards at the yep. locker room you yep. know and, and those those are the people you really miss mm-hmm. um you know I, i've made in, in in 33 years of major league baseball i mean i've been going to these same you know in primarily the national league you mm-hmm. know 15 cities for 33 years and same with the NFL, some cities more than others. But, I mean, I could tell you the first name of just about every single, you know, security guy yeah. that works right when you come in the stadium or, you know, works once you get close to the booth. And so you, you really – those people, you know, you, it's, it's funny, but you, you really do miss those people and just seeing their faces and their smiles and saying hello and how they're doing. Yeah, it, it's fun. It's it's fun. Been uh, like you've been doing this for many, been doing this for many years. But like you said, you can say you can pretty much recite the first name, all the way down to the security guard of the of the people that you know 
help you get situated. Tom Brenneman on the on the hotline with the snowman today. And man, what got you started? What what gave you what turned the light on to say, you know what, I want to be a sports announcer. I want to do play by play. What got you started? Well, you, as you know, uh, I grew up around it, and my father's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was the announcer for the Cincinnati Reds for 47 years. And, you know, when we were kids and he was working his way up um, and doing the old ABA, both of my parents are from Virginia and both went to school at the University of North Carolina. And, um, you know, um, I mean, I was around guys, you know, man, like, you know, uh, for the Virginia Squires who my dad announced for. I mean, yeah. I was around guys like Julius Irving and George Gervin and Charlie Scott, great North Carolina star. And, yep. You know, I mean, I was around all these guys as a kid, and I, I'd go to all these really cool places with my dad. And, 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 and you know, I, I, but I never thought about wanting to do it ever. And then, you know, long story short, you know, I um, – I got into college, and like a lot of kids, you're not quite sure what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'd been to school for a year, and I used to work every summer and lived with my grandparents down in uh, the Outer Banks of North Carolina, which you're familiar with. And, yes. And, you know, and so um, I, I was driving down there after studying for final exams. It had been up for like three or four days in a row studying. And, you know, I finally thought to myself, geez, maybe that's what I ought to get into and then see if I could give that a go. And so the next year, um, I came back and, and got a job at a commercial radio station. I wasn't on the air at first. And, you know, like a lot of college towns, guys are in and out. Uh, I was in Athens, Ohio, at Ohio University. And, and so before long, one guy left, and then a shift that, you know, DJ in at 10 o'clock at night opened up until 1 o'clock in the morning. And then we started doing the women's basketball games at Ohio U, and I had a chance to do the home games. And so that's really how the whole thing got started. For me – I was I was just at Chicago State in 1995, and a friend of mine had checked out a camera, and he was going to film the game that was being played that night. It was a men's basketball game. They were playing Northern Illinois. And I said, can you attach a microphone to that? And he said, sure. What do you have in mind? So we, we checked out a microphone, attached the microphone to the camera, and I had a shirt and tie on me. I was able to uh, get dressed, and without any notes, that was my, that was my first call. Yeah. And yeah, later, little did I realize, twenty four and a half, twenty five years later, still doing it, still enjoying it. That's right. And yep, it's it's fun. It's fun because the voice that got me started, and I love listening to you when you call games. But the voice that got me started in my hometown of Chicago was a fellow named Jim Durham, who called Bulls games for many many years. It was Jim Durham and Johnny Kerr. Those are the voices that I would listen to, and I, I've listened to so many over the years, yourself included. But this is fun, man. This is what a lot of people realize. Yeah, we put a lot of work into it in terms of our preparation, especially when you do different sports. But in all, this is fun. This is like, yep. this is a blast. There's no doubt about it. And, and I remember Jim Durham very, very well. What a great announcer, great announcer. And, and a good man, and Johnny Red Kerr, and I remember those guys because you and I, you know, basically crossed over roughly at the same time in Chicago. I was leaving at the end of '95, and you were just getting going. But yep. you know, it's a uh, it's a great town, and uh, and great people, and and uh, great profession. It, you know, it, it's really never working. I mean, you work nope. hard to prepare for the game to make sure you know what you're talking about or try to know what you're talking about. But at the end of the day, it's really not working for a living. It's 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 an incredible job, and uh, and I was thankful for every day I was there. And you know, 
like I said before, good Lord willing, I'll get a chance to go back and maybe one day do it again. But if I don't, then I don't. That's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. So we'll see what happens as, as time moves forward. You and, know. And I really hope you do get a chance to get well, back behind you. the mic and, and, and do it again. We all we all make mistakes. Lord knows I've made mistakes over over the years. But as I introduced you and started thinking about it and I reached out to you to, to have you on, this is a story of redemption, folks. Okay, and as I said, if you haven't had a chance to check out this podcast dialed in, please do. This is a story of redemption because everyone in our profession makes mistakes on or on or off mic. And I've seen both. But at the same time, I really believe you should get a chance at redemption, that you should get a get a chance to do it again in the era of social media. Everyone's going to have their opinion and it's going to be out there, but it all comes down to the person who made the mistake and how they can bounce back from it. Well, you know, it, it starts with, as you know, Brian, you know, you, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta look yourself in the mirror and admit the mistake. You know, the worst mistake that you can make on top of a mistake is to deny or not you know, be truthful or, you know, with yourself or with others. And so, you know, I mean, I, I used, a, I used a, a, a homophobic slur off the air, um, a, a word that um, by no means am I excusing it in any form or fashion. I'm not. Right. Uh, it's a word that for a lot of us in our late 50s, mid 50s, who have heard that word, you know, growing up almost our whole lives. Uh, I said it. I, I don't have a homophobic bone in my body. But when you Google Tom Brenneman today, and, you know, my two, two teenage kids have to live with this, mm-hmm. but, you know, they, they go to Google their dad, and their dad is known in a lot of places as a homophobe, and it hurts, and um, especially when you know you're not, um, you know, um, and, and so I tried to look myself in the mirror, um, admit the mistake I made. And now, you know, meeting with LGBTQ leaders in the community uh, in and around Cincinnati, probably in the last 180 days, probably 45 or 50 of those days have been spent in some form or fashion at one time or another during the course of the day, trying to learn more, grow more, uh, get better, understand the depth and the hurt that that word carries with it. And so, you know, um, it, it's been an amazing journey. And I've told my wife uh you know, since shortly after all this happened, I said, at the end of the day, I really believe this is part of a bigger plan and it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to our family and the best thing that ever happened to me. And and that, and I don't mean that, you know, that, that all of a sudden it's able to, uh, to, you know, make right what I said, because, you know, nothing you can do can make right what I said, but I've got to try each and every day and that's what I'm doing. And so, you know, it's been a great um, time of, of growth and, and, and introspection. And, you know, normally I've heard those words before now, and I kind of roll my eyes like, oh, this is all some new age, you know, BS kind of thing that I'm hearing from somebody else say. Mm-hmm. But now I think I understand a little bit better, and, and I'm trying to learn from it. That's all you can do. That's, That's the all best thing. That's the best thing, learning from it. Learning from the, learning yep. from the mistake and using it to go forward. Because when you released – the first episode of Dialed In, I hopped on that in a hurry because this is a fellow who I now consider a friend as well as a great broadcaster. And I said, let me see what, it, what, what this is about. 
man, you got me hooked on the on that first episode, and not just because of the people that you have on, but because of the journey that this is leading you to, and I love you for it. I I love the well, fact I that you that were very much. You, Thank you. You looked in the you looked in the mirror and said, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm going to bounce back from it. And this is what this is what I try to tell. This is what I try to tell people. You know, you can bounce back from any mistake that you make, no matter what profession you're in, as long as you're a willing to do so and b honor your commitment to do so. Yep, yep, and that's what I'm trying to do every single day. And there are always going to be people out there. You know, it's like when 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 it happened, and and I came back on the air uh, before I was taken off the air permanently. But I had said to the people that were you know were running the telecast, I said because my bosses had said get off the air, you got to get out, of, get off this game. And I was doing the second game of the doubleheader mm-hmm. between the Reds and the Kansas City Royals, and I just said, well, look, I'm, I have to apologize before I get out of here. And and then you know I, I did the best I could. It was live television. Uh, it was all from the heart. Uh, and, you know, then the next couple of days, you know, you're, you're being crucified because your apology wasn't good enough. Well, you know, I'm not quite sure I know what that means uh, because, you know, I, I've always been raised and, and not that my upbringing was better or worse than anybody else's because Lord knows. I mean, everybody's got their own experiences and all that kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I've always been taught that, hey, if somebody makes a mistake and they apologize for that mistake, then, you know, you got to be willing to accept the apology and, and try to move forward. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everybody's forgiven for everything that they do uh, the second that you do it. But when you say you're sorry, and, you know, I, I think most people can tell if you're sincere when you say you're sorry. I think most can. Uh, and I certainly was that night that, that maybe people can say, okay, well, let's, let's try to move forward now. But, you know, some people, they don't see it that way, and that's fine. They're the ones that have to – go through their day-to-day life and, and, you know, you pray for them too, because, you know, somebody in their life is going to make a mistake and they're going to apologize to them. And are they going to be willing to accept that apology? Tom Brenneman joining me here on the program. And you're absolutely right. And I had my thoughts and I made, I made my comments about it, you know, the day after the day after it happened. But then I sat back and I thought, how many times have I made a mistake on the air? And how many times have I been punished for it over 25 years? And then I really, really began to think hard about it. And I listened to your apology. And I'm like, you know what? I hope this man gets a second chance. Because everyone that has been, almost everyone that has been in the community that we're in has had a hot mic moment. I've come close. But I know some people that have had hot mic moments and it costs them. So why not? you know, allow one of my favorite voices, Tom Brenneman, a second chance. And that's one of the reasons I reached out to you. I wanted to have you mm-hmm. on, get your, th- get your thoughts about it, and just have a great conversation. This is the opening. I was watching the 2003 National League Championship Series, of which Tom was the voice, and I'll never forget the setup he had before Game 6. Now, context of this, I'm a White Sox fan. Always have been a White Sox fan. But I've had people who tried to get me to cheer for the Cubs for many years. I'll never forget what Tom said when he said, quote, well, the stars seem to be aligned for the Chicago Cubs. And then he went about the matchup. Um, It was Mark Pryor for game six. And he said, and then Tom said, they have Kerry Wood in the wings for game, should there be a game seven tomorrow? And then he added, but we are talking about the Chicago Cubs. I walked away (laughs) laughing my head off. I walked away laughing my head off. And some of my friends who were big-time Cub fans says, why are you you going away? I said, you know what? Tom just jinxed y'all 
for the rest of the series. <laughs> and I said, there's no way that happened. And then the eighth inning happened in game, yeah. in game six. And I went upstairs, and I was, I was laughing so hard I was crying. I said, y'all can blame Tom Brenneman if you want, but all he did in his opening was speak <laughs> the truth. Okay, <laughs> that's one. That was one of my that was one of my favorite openings from you, man. Well, you know, it was it was you know I, I had been the announcer as you know, Brian, for the for the Cubs for six years uh, in, in from nineteen ninety through nineteen ninety five, and mm-hmm. you know I I really you know came for a kid who grew up in Cincinnati and watching the Reds and playing against the Cubs. Uh, they were never in the same division. Um, all those years when there used to be a National League East and a National League West, and, right. and but but when I got there, I never understood the depth of the of really the the the, the, the pain and the suffering <laughs> of Cub fans until you get around it every day. Yes, and I mean these people were some of the most beautiful people I've ever met to this day in my life. I mean they just loved their baseball team, and you know they just wanted that one time. Yes, so, yes. You know, um, you know, I felt like that. I, I really believed when once they had gone ahead three games to one uh, that in that, that was series, it. that you know they were going to win that series, right. and they were going to go to the World Series for the first time since 1945. And obviously, that didn't happen. And and um, and so, you know, you always had to. And I think even the most hardcore Cup fan, you know, I think they they knew going into that game that that, that, that you know they felt the same way in, in a lot of ways about. You know, oh God, what's going to happen next? I mean, some of my best buddies in the world to this day were, were buddies of mine that I made living in Chicago. And I remember I had left one of my my closest friends in the world, him and his father. His father, lifelong Chicago guy, Cub mm-hmm. fan, uh, grew up out in the suburbs. And 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 after Game Six, he calls me on the phone um, as him and his dad left the ballpark, and his and I had him tickets for Game Seven too. And uh, he said, you know what? My dad's not going tomorrow night. I'm like, what? What do you mean he's not going tomorrow night? He's like, oh, he, he already told me. So they're going to lose. He said he, he can't stand the pain. And I'm like, come on, man. You know, and he's like, no, no, no. He's really not going. He says, I'm just going to get another buddy of mine to come along with me. He said, my wife won't go because she wants to watch it on TV. And and I'm just like, well, that right there encapsulates the Cub fan to the absolute, you know, extreme. That was it. That was it. <laughs> And of course, they lost the next night, and that yeah. was that. <laughs> they did lose. They did lose the next night, and I, I, I can't. I, I was just laughing my head off because all of my friends who were Cup fans were calling me, going, "Why are you laughing at our pain?" I said, "Look, I'm a Southsider. We're going through a little bit of pain That's too, right. you know." <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Your pain though wasn't as long as theirs was. No, you got one a couple of years later, we, but they finally got theirs a few years back. So you know, they good did. for that. But. Let's go back to 1990 when the Reds won it all against Oakland. What was going through your through your head that night when Todd Benzinger caught the final out in Oakland? Well, I was doing the cut. That was my first year doing the Cubs games, and so I had left Cincinnati. But but the television station that I worked for in Cincinnati before I went to the Cubs uh, had asked me at the end of the regular season if I would come back and and traveled all the games in the series and be like a, a, you know, like an analyst for their 6 and 11 o'clock news. And so I got a chance to go to the first two games in Cincinnati and then the last two games in Oakland, and I was out there when they won the thing. And I was just, I was so excited because one of my favorite people that I've ever had a chance to meet in, in, in my many, many years in baseball is Lou Pinella. Yes. And, um, you know, Lou was brought into Cincinnati and, uh, you know, he had done everything that you could do 
uh, really in the sport, uh, even as, as such a young man. I mean, obviously he was a great player. Mm-hmm. Um, he became a broadcaster for the Yankees. He became the manager of the Yankees. He became the general manager of the Yankees. And, and yet he wanted another chance to manage. And after being around him that year, um, when they would come in and play the Cubs uh, in Chicago, he and I'd always go out and get a beer or two after the game. We just really kind of hit it off. I had not known him at all because he had spent his whole career in the American League, and there was no interleague play in those days. You right. really didn't know many of those guys in the other league. And, right. Uh, I was just so excited for him because, and, and, and really, really excited for some of the other guys around the Reds that I was with as a television reporter uh, before I went to before I went to Chicago from Cincinnati. I, I had gotten to know. You know, Barry Larkin and especially Eric Davis, he and I, yeah. even to this day, are very close friends. And, and I was just so excited for all those guys that that, um, that they, you know, won the whole thing that year. It was fun. Yeah. yeah and for me, 2005 was it for me. I, I said, well, after yeah, the White oh, Sox course, won it all, I said, I've seen all of my teams win championships now. I'm good. And this was a couple of years before I lost my dad to prostate cancer. But when the final out was made, when your rebate um, – uh, made the final play. My dad and I looked at each other. We were we were just in an embrace, and we were we were crying. We were celebrating yep. that night. Yeah, I don't know how many copies of the Sometimes I bought the next day, but I handed one. But I handed one to my dad, and just a big smile crept across his face because my dad got me. My dad got me into baseball because he took me to a White Sox game in 1982 sure. at, Old, at sure. Old Comiskey Park. I've been a South. I've been a White Sox fan since I had that experience, and I had a chance to see game two, Pesetnik's walk-off. Do you know how crazy yep, that remember place well, yep. Do you know yep. how crazy that yep. place went? You thought it was crazy oh, when, sure. Konerko, when Konerko hit that slam in the seventh inning, but to have Scott Pesetnik, of all people, hit a walk-off home run in a World Series on the south side, I thought, we'd nev- I th- I thought the south side would never recover from that. Until game yeah, four happened. <laughs> right, right. That's right. That's right. That was, I mean, that was amazing. Because I had, I had done the league championship series that year, uh, the National League Championship yeah. Series, yep. and had seen the Astros. And, you know, they had just beaten the Cardinals, who were a really good team, finally gotten over the hump, uh, gotten into a World Series for the first time. And, and I'd have lost a lot of money uh, if I were a gambling man. I, I you know, I knew the, I knew the White Sox were a good team, but their pitching was just so good. Yes. I mean, it was just so good, and uh, I mean, it was just really as good as any team uh, in a long, long time. Uh, once they got to the World Series, they had everybody—the starters, relievers, mm-hmm. everybody—just totally locked in, and they they weren't going to lose. No, they weren't. They were lo- like you said, they were they were locked in. And to have one of the starters, Mark Burley, get a save in Game Three after a fourteen-inning marathon, and I didn't know how that game would turn out. My dad had fallen asleep, and he said, "Just mm-hmm. tell me how it ha- tell me how it happened the next day." He just happened to wake up, and I still had the game on, and he came in just as Jeff Blum hit his home run in the fourteenth inning. How about that? How about that? <laughs> That's great stuff. And, and this That's is great stuff. I, I said, you know what? My dad and I are going to celebrate tomorrow. I don't care what anybody else in the house does. I want to celebrate with my pops this World Series win. And of course, the next night we won, and went, and we all went crazy. Everybody in the house went yeah, crazy. Oh yeah. But yeah, oh yeah. Like I oh said, yeah. I had a special moment with my dad before um, I lost him to to prostate cancer, and I watch and listen. I watch that game every chance I get. I have John Rooney's call, parts of that call from game four, 
um, and listen to that every chance I get. And I'm just so reminded of my dad. And he would say the same. Mm-hmm. He would say the same thing that you said earlier. You make a mistake. You look yourself in the mirror. Admit you made the mistake, and you and you try to you learn from it, and then you move on. You know, people are going to say what they're what they're going to say. Okay, and I'm That's one right. of the people. I'm one of the people who did. But at the same time, I, I got brains enough to go. You know what? This guy does deserve a second chance, and he's always one of my favorite voices. And um, I some of the games that I've heard you call, it's like I miss him. I miss you being on the air, man. I, I miss. Well, I, uh, I appreciate it, especially I really appreciate it. with with football and baseball. You know, like where's where's Tom? I mean, I know what happened, but 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 it's not fair. Sometimes the mistakes you make, you know, you you have to get over them. You have to learn from them. But at the same time, given our business, I'm just going. I want Tom back for some football games, man. I, I want I, I want that, and. Like, give him a second chance somewhere, somebody. I'm making this plea right now. Yeah, and 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 and, and there will be. Though there's going to oh, be yeah. somebody. I mean, you know, the the, the climate we live in right now. Um, and you know, look, I, you know, a lot of people, you know, they use that term cancel culture and say, well, yep. you know, you've been kind of cancel cultured out. Now, I, you know, I'm not going to grip onto that uh, saying because uh, at the end of the day, I'm the one that said it, and mm-hmm. so you know, like I said before, I got to live with it. But at the same time. You know, um, you do find yourself sometimes saying, well, you know, does the punishment fit the crime here? Uh, That's not for me to judge. It's for somebody else to judge. Right. Um, Whatever the percentage of the people out there uh, that are just never going to get over what I said, and Mm -hmm. I don't know what that percentage is. I know it's very, very small. Yeah. uh, But it's also a vocal small. Um, And the pressure that is put on um, sponsors, and then the pressure that sponsors put on uh, bosses, uh, whether it's a yeah. local job, you know, it could be a local college team you're broadcasting for. It could mm-hmm. be all the way up to the Fox network. Uh, yep. You know, the people who make those decisions are going to be under pressure. And I get it and I respect it. And I wouldn't want to be in that position because it's one of those. And in, in, in some cases, maybe not mine, but in some cases, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And so, Indeed. you know, we'll, we'll just kind of see. But there will be. There's no doubt in my mind, uh, by the grace of God. There, there's going to be somebody sooner or later that will just say, hey, look, you know, for 33 years, you know, was I the perfect broadcaster? Absolutely not. Was I the perfect man and husband and dad and Christian? And you No, know, absolutely. Every single day, multiple mistakes over and over and over again. Uh, but I never embarrassed any of my employers. Uh, for 33 years, uh, 27 at Fox and 33 with three different major league baseball teams. And so, you know, somebody out there is finally going to say, well, hold on a minute now, you know, um, X amount of time, however long that's going to be, I have no control over it, so I can't worry about it. Um, somebody will come along and say, you know what, um, let, let, let's go ahead and take the chance here and let's see what happens. So we'll see. Love we'll it. See. Love the love, love the confidence, and I can't wait for that day that happens, and I will be watching or listening and go, hey, I had a conversation with him on my show. You made a good choice. That is the great Tom Brenneman joining me here on the program talking all things broadcasting. Folks, if you haven't done so already, please check out patreon.com slash sitmorning. That's how more of these conversations and more of these shows can happen. For only 5 bucks a month, you can help make the show even better and help keep the show on and we got a lot of stuff 
in the works, but the fan, but we need the fans' help to make it work. Tom, an absolute honor, my friend. My pleasure, Brian. You take care of yourself, Snowman. God bless you, brother. God bless you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. Back in a moment. 